This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with internationally renowned art conservators Will Shank and Antonio Rava. Will and Antonio joined me in the studio to discuss their restoration of many Keith Haring murals across the globe, including our very own in Collingwood. We also explore the painstaking processes and considerations that go into the restoration of major works of public art, murals and street art. And uh, I'm really pleased to have with me in the studio today two special international guests, Will Shank and Antonio Rava, who are both highly experienced conservators and they work on large-scale artworks and murals around the world. And they are here in Melbourne to do a range of things, one of which is to give a talk at Melbourne University tonight. They were also um, featured through the National Gallery of Victoria and had an event, I believe, on Sunday talking about the Keith Haring mural in Collingwood, which Antonio painstakingly restored uh, with his team and Will here has worked with Antonio for a number of years. To give you an idea of their background, Will Shank headed conservation at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art for over a decade before relocating to Barcelona and his work with preserving public murals has won him the Rome Prize in 2005 and also led to his creation of the American Initiative Rescue Public Murals, which is fantastic. And uh, there's much more that Will has done in his uh, long career. And Antonio Rava is an Italian conservator specialising in contemporary art. He studied conservation at the Istituto Centrale del Restoro in Rome and has 40 years experience in this field um, and has worked really across the world. Um, I see he was researching at the Department of Conservation at New York University University with a Fulbright scholarship and both men have published widely in journals about conservation which is both an artistic endeavour but also a highly technical one so I'm very excited uh, to have them with me in the studio. I welcome Will now. Hi there Will. Hi, Amy. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming in. And Antonio. Hi, Antonio. Hi. It's great to have you both and uh, welcome to Melbourne. Will, you said this is your first trip here in Australia. How are you finding things? This is my very first time in Australia. I've been here for a week now and I'm loving it. I would love to come back. (laughs) You're more than welcome. And Antonio, (laughs) this is certainly not your first trip. And um, I was really interested to watch the documentary, uh, an ABC documentary about your restoration of the Keith Herring mural in Collingwood, which was really fascinating to hear your thoughts and approach on that. And um, hopefully we'll get into that in this conversation. But how how many times have you travelled to Australia for work in conservation of art? How? How many trips have you made to Australia? Well, maybe four four trips uh, because uh, it took time to organise the work uh, and and, uh, set all what was needed and uh, so uh, we returned and kept returning until the work was completed um, something like five years ago. Mm. And I'm aware that not only have you published together with colleagues in journals about conservation and have certainly used some of your experiences working on Keith Haring murals around the world, but you've also been involved in that practical part of conservation and restoration, which is 
the actual restoration of these murals. One that stood out to me was the Keith Haring mural in Paris, which is just stunning and so colourful and really um, a, a unique example of Keith Haring's work. Maybe for those who are listening who don't know who Keith Haring is or haven't had much exposure to his art before, what um, would you will characterise as Keith Haring's mural work and, and his style of, of street art and, and his, I guess, significance? Well, murals are certainly his largest statement, and he did about he did over thirty of them worldwide um, during his um, shockingly brief career. He died at age uh, thirty-one, exactly thirty years ago, of complications from AIDS. But he was incredibly prolific, and he. Um, in, Throughout the 80s, once he uh, became well-known and uh, was a young man in demand, he found himself in all of these different countries and all these different cities where uh, he would frequently be working with the museum staff on uh, putting together exhibitions of his work. And habitually, he would ask for uh, a public wall where he could paint something really big so that the public could enjoy his work without having to walk through a door and pay admission. So it was one of the charming qualities of his character that he wanted to um, give back to the world. And it was it was consistent with his whole, um, his whole approach to a populist um, interest in art. And that's why, why he created Pop Shop so that everybody could could own a Keith Haring if it was a keychain or a, or a or a mouse pad or whatever. It was actually an original work of art because he really believed in art for the people. So the murals are the largest expression of that um, philosophy. Mm, and they are really quite striking. And I was interested to see that uh, one of the murals in Amsterdam was discovered only fairly recently or rediscovered, I would say, because well, most people knew that it had happened, at least the artists or art appreciators of Amsterdam, but it was hidden for a long time. What was your, I guess, experience or perhaps excitement around that mural? Yeah, both the Paris mural, which is another story, and mm. the Amsterdam are, are pretty interesting. Um, when Keith was in uh, Amsterdam in 1980, uh, what's the date on that? Six, I think. Mm. Um, he was uh, doing a show at the Stedelijk Museum, the modern museum in Amsterdam, and there too he asked for a wall. So they found him a brick and mortar wall in West Amsterdam, which was the warehouse for the Stedelijk's um, paintings and sculpture. And he painted this mural upon it. It's a really funky, very original mural, unlike anything else in his work. It's one continuous white line of a, a sort of hybrid um, dog and mermaid character with a person riding on its back. Really interesting um, iconography. In any case, he painted it and then change being sort of a part of life in the city. Uh, the building was sold. Uh, the Stedelijk no longer used it, and it had another purpose, and it became uh, a warehouse for um, wholesale food and, and also a giant refrigerator. So um, when that happened, the owners of the building decided to cover the exterior with metal panels to, as part of the installation. It wasn't about covering up the mural. I don't think they were even aware of the mural. Um, so 30 years went by, and um, a grassroots effort started saying, give us back our Keith Haring mural because a lot of people remember the history and they knew it was there, but you couldn't see it. So um, in June of 2018, we it, it took a lot 
to get to that point with the support of the Keith Haring Foundation and many others, including the grassroots people in, in Amsterdam. And we got the panels removed, and Antonio and I went up on a cherry picker and uh, did a condition report just to see what condition it was in. So yeah. although it was hidden, it wasn't unknown, and now it's back. And we're going in April to actually do the conservation work from a scaffolding. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. And clearly there is a, a long lead-up time of preparation and examining the actual mural as it is. I was particularly struck by the fact that that uh, Amsterdam mural, the brick wall wasn't really rendered or it didn't really have a a kind of smooth surface to paint on. Um, Does that create a different challenge when you're looking at restoring a mural like that? Yeah, every mural is different. And uh, we understood soon that uh, there is no rule about uh, choosing the support, the materials, uh, the kind of uh, expression, because uh, he was feeling very free about uh, what he wanted to express. And every time it was uh, another story. And uh, getting back to his uh, original uh, intent as a a street artist, he was uh, doing a lot of work in the subway of New York in the early 80s, and at the time it was illegal, so he has been few times uh, caught also from the police uh, for that work. But that was a very useful work for him because he reported later uh, if his imagination could go so far around in all these uh, ephemeral works he did uh, in the subway of New York. And uh, uh, that remained uh, as a, a, a strong uh, um, powerful uh, expression that came up every time in a different way. He never did a a drawing before. He just uh, had everything in his mind, as he kept saying. And he started from one corner, finishing on the other corner of the the huge surface, 300 square meters maybe, and everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. No correction, no difficulties in in what he was uh, doing. And it was like a performance. Uh, People looking at him and even the movie uh, recordings we have show him like a dancer moving on the surface of these huge walls with a very specific uh, um, knowledge and consciousness. And always make music him playing. A great oh, yeah, his boombox. Yeah, yeah. make him a great artist. Mm. So beside everything else he did in his life, uh, we can say he was a real great artist for the capacity he had, which was not usual. Yes, and I think a lot of people and my first view of Keith Haring when I saw his work and I watched a documentary of his um, his drawings in the subway was that he had that kind of spontaneity but also this energy that kind of popped out from his drawings and although he's using really bold and simple lines, they have this kind of extra quality and energy that just really captures your attention and has, I guess, an aura, a feeling that it gives the viewer. When you're looking at the artist's hand and that energy that you're looking at in these murals, how do you contend with that as a, a conservator in, in, in a restoration piece? Oh, that's the really great thing about being a conservator because whether you're looking through a microscope at the brushwork of a Picasso or a Matisse or a George O'Keefe um, or whether you're up on the scaffolding looking really closely at how that wet paint went on the wall and dried, you really get a feeling for the hand of the artist, which is the great joy. You really feel close Mm -hmm. to the artist. So um, it's really important for us to 
respect Keith Haring's line, which he spoke a great deal about in his journals. He said, a lot of people imitate me, um, but what's important about my work is the line. And so we get to actually see that, that lovely swoop and where he lifted his paintbrush off the wall and then put it back down and how completely sure-handed he was and totally spontaneous, just a continuous line, um, no errors. And as Antonio said, no, pre- no preparatory sketches. He just mm. went for it. Mm. So, yes, our job is to retain all of that energy. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And um, it was interesting to see that he drew a number of chalk drawings in the 1980s and that being such a short-lived form. But obviously he needed to do things really quickly when he's in the subway and doing something that is not allowed. Is that one reason why you think he might have developed this confidence and ability to do things quickly and with vision? Sure, he, he is a street artist, and he always uh, uh, stated that. Uh, so quickness and uh, eventually uh, not uh, protect work uh, was his, uh, his way of doing, and uh, using cherry picker or something which was bent and uh, coming down from the top of the roof. I mean, he was using different tools uh, to reach the surface, and uh, um, the energy was uh, conveyed by the music. He always had a radio with the music, Mm. which made him in the mood of uh, creating, entering in a very special space uh, of expression, which uh, he really wanted uh, and conveyed also to others, because sometimes, like in Pisa, he called people from the street, to help him doing, and it turned to be a party, uh, being all together and doing uh, all one public work, which is publicly uh, made with the hands of different people. Mm. And that kind of conversation and back and forth collaboration, I guess, between the public and Keith Haring must be part of the reason why people feel so invested in his work and have an emotional attachment to it and an instinctive attachment, I guess. And they also, if it's part of the streetscape that they live in, must develop a bond with some of his work if they're going past it every day. And I know a lot of people who might go past the mural in Collingwood would also have that feeling of it being a part of their life in in some way in the background. How have you experienced his work as a conservator? Because if you are dealing with an artwork that is so publicly loved and has such an interesting relationship with the community that the mural is in, how do you manage that? That relationship and how do you come in and understand the expectations that a community might have of of what a restoration of a Keith Haring mural might look like? Yeah, I think uh, in Melbourne it was pretty visible that uh, that thing because uh, a lot of controversies uh, had arisen before we actually did the restoration and so we had to deal with different opinions and we had to show that our conservation work was uh, the good one, not prevailing over the artist's intent and giving the good result for the future maintenance of the expression of the artist. We already had the experience of so many repainted murals that are considered lost. Uh, The fact of uh, uh, repainting 
really uh, take away all the intent, the artistic intent of the artist, and uh, the, 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 the work becomes a copy of itself. Mm. But uh, from the conservative way, it's also something which distracts uh, the material. Because if you stratify one layer over the other and the superimposed layer become thicker, then uh, the change in the uh, glass temperature uh, transition uh, make uh, delamination of uh, this uh, thick line, uh, thick surface of, uh, of varnish. And delamination means the need of reapplying and uh, the next time it would be worse. Mm -hmm. So in, in quite, a, quite a, a short time, the material is uh, completely ruined and not visible anymore. Yeah. If I may just add to that, your question about the community uh, passing by it every day, it was, it was so important um, uh, when decisions were made about the Collingwood mural because there was this uh, controversy when, uh, when it just wasn't visible and people were angry and, um, and uh, uh, didn't know what to do about it and they wanted it back and there were various campaigns saying save the Keith Herring mural but there were also a variety of opinions about how to do that so one school of thought and it's the one we come from as people who work in museums with precious objects is return to the original save every flake of Keith Haring's paint and it's the sort of thing that was done for instance to the Last Supper of, of Leonardo where a woman working through a microscope for years took off everything that didn't wasn't applied by Leonardo and what's left is a ghost um, really very pale um, vague image that that although it's original it has no life so that was one approach to the herring mural but it was finally um, rejected by sensitive conservators who realized that this is not going to meet the needs of the community this has to be a vibrant beautiful thing mm. that people are going to point to and say that's Keith Herring and that was this really cool p thing that happened in 1984 and people were dancing and there's still people dancing on the walls so Antonio had the difficult charge of not painting over it, but somehow reviving those colors that had disappeared. And that's the magic of what we do. <laughs> and yeah. I and had noticed that the colors of that mural, you've got the yellow background, which had kind of become very faded um, and discolored. And then the red seemed to be particularly volatile. And I mean, it's in past examples, I know that red can be a very volatile color anyway. How did you deal with that of restoring, as you've said, the, that kind of vibrancy and sense of movement in a, a painting that has that imagery of dancing and movement? Yeah, the, the murals uh, by Keith Haring often, like usually has a meaning, a, a sign which is uh, conveyed to the people. And this is astonishing, uh, interesting, because 1984 was the, the moment when the first uh, uh, Microsoft uh, computer came on, on sale. And so it is about uh, the computer and the young people. And uh, it is uh, positive and negative at the same time. But it was a strong m message which uh, had to be saved. And uh, the Herring Foundation at the time said, if you don't see the message anymore, the mural is not useful for us anymore. It's going to be lost because we don't want some wreck remaining without uh, the possibility of reading what the artist intended. And they often stressed the difference between a painting inside and a mural outside. The painting remains uh, the same 
for decades and centuries and has a, a very still life, while the outdoor continuously change because mm. uh, the climate, because uh, uh, the, the environment is an effect. The people, the sensitive surface can be changed, but every scrap, uh, scratch you, you do on the surface. So it was necessary to return to the original. And in that case, cleaning was so important, and we found the possibility with uh, just erasers, rubber erasers, remove the whitish uh, part of the paint, which uh, uh, came up on the surface. That was a big controversy because uh, it's part of the original. So it's like uh, the painting, the, the material paint uh, was divided in two and the white part was coming on the surface. And you had to take it out for the sake of uh, the yellow recover underneath. And the yellow was the big part of the surface and it was so important to have it back because the colors between them are synalytic. They give the strength. Without the color, everything is lost. Mm. And so we, we had a, an Italian theoric, theoretical uh, idea, which is primum vivere. I mean, save what it is necessary for the sake of the paint. So even if it's a part of the original which is coming through, and that happened a lot with stone conservation where the black carbon crusts uh, developing on the surface were uh, still having part of the original uh, calcium carbonate from the stone. But we had to take it out because of this, uh, the, the possibility of making the worker fat survive. So in this case was really surviving for the, the work of art. And we did, and we explained. We had a lot of talk with the restorers in the city, and not everybody was the same idea, but uh, they accepted our concept, which comes directly from the Italian attitude in conservation, which is, I mean, old and seasoned in uh, strategies. Yes, well, I know that there is a long history of, of that theory and that many students, even at Melbourne University, would be learning theories from Italian conservators. And I've read uh, some of the blog posts about this particular conservation and restoration of the mural and um, some of the theorists. I, th I believe there was one particular theorist that you were drawing from in, in this approach. Can you remind me who that was? Uh, Cesare Brandi, yes. uh, who is... Uh, the founder of the theory of conservation. Mm. It, it may be changed for contemporary art, which is sometimes uh, so different from uh, the scale of uh, uh, old masters approach. But still, I mean, it is like a safety net, which helps you in the draw, in the designing your work as uh, some support, a theoretical support, give a very strength uh, understanding and you can explain because people often want uh, explanation mm. why you did that and I say I did because uh, the theory brings me to the point of doing it and uh, and that's uh, um, not controversial it's much more <laughs> quite than say I do because I feel like it, it is the good thing to do it's very different yes it's not just your opinion uh, yeah yeah and uh, given this particular mural I mean, it was quite a large scale and uh, it was also, I believe, one of the first, if not the first murals Keith Herring used a, a cherry picker for, one of those kind of machines that um, lifted him up to, to high scales. 
Apparently so. <laughs> I mean, it's probably hard to actually track and be absolutely certain. But given uh, this mural is probably more in his early stages of his career or earlier stages. 84, yeah, it's early. I think this was yeah. actually his first large outdoor mural. And the, the story goes that he discovered the cherry picker um, there in Collingwood and he loved it. And then he also used it on the water wall at the NGV. Yes, and uh, that's another a great example of the work that he did here. I believe that this Collingwood mural was the only permanent mural that we have in Australia from his trip. That's right. He, he definitely called this one permanent. So mm. we yeah, felt a great um, moral obligation to make sure it's permanent. Yeah, and so it's sometimes difficult with an artist, especially Keith Haring, who uh, died so young, he's not around to give specific instructions, but he certainly did, as you say, indicate his attitude towards this mural and also his other artworks. How did you incorporate his wishes and views into the project and the planning? He, he did um, speak, he, he did die tragically young, but he did speak, he go, went on record about permanence. And um, there's actually a video of him working in Pisa in front of the, the first uh, mural that we restored together, uh, Tutto Mondo, which was his last mural in his life. And he says, um, clearly, I expect this to last for hundreds of years which was optimistic because acrylic paints have only been around since the 1940s and we don't know that it's even possible to make them last hundreds of years but we're doing our best so and this particular mural in Collingwood I believe the paints were commercial or hardware store type paints so they varied I guess in their robustness how did you restore this mural and how did you analyze the types of paints that uh, Keith Herring had used yeah, fortunately, we had always uh, the same approach uh, with the scientific uh, team uh, ruled by Perla Colombini, who is a bright uh, scientist in Italy, in Pisa, and uh, uh, having the possibility to compare all the studies we are doing on the herring from the same laboratory. So it's a very uh, complete scene of knowledge about uh, uh, the materials. And here we had the worst material, which is alkidic uh, animal, uh, alkidic resin, which doesn't last in the outdoor because uh, it's a modified polyester with oil. Mm. And uh, it's like painting in oil on the outdoor. It becomes soon brittle and it cracks and it loses little particles until it completely disappears. So the red line, which is so important for, for the mural, was made with this alkyd uh, paint and uh, had to be revitalized, which was the most uh, uh, delicate part of the work. And uh, uh, we chose the, the glaze as a, a technique, which is adding something very transparent, red, uh, to uh, what is rest still there of the original uh, line. So not uh, intending, interpreting anything, leaving the re remarks uh, he did uh, while he was going on with the line with his brush, uh, which are still visible, but uh, adding color, adding the, the red uh, uh, vibrant uh, uh, tune, which uh, counteracts uh, the other colors and give the real answer for for the readability of the of the work and uh, uh, i did myself with uh, the same 
uh, glossy and uh, uh, tine uh, quality and uh, the same brush going through all the line of, uh, of the mural. And uh, I can say it's not repainted. Uh, many people mm -hmm. came and see what a beautiful work you do, you repaint the mural. And I say, no, it's not being repainted. It is restored because glazing is something which has always been into conservation. And it's uh, an important part of uh, rejuvenating what is still there, but has a need of being more visible. And uh, that was done here. It was rather difficult and controversial, but at the mm -hmm. end, everybody was pleased because we found the solution for the visibility. Yeah, I've got to say personally, I really appreciated the fact that you, it has this vibrancy with the red pigment back, and it's and that you've really maintained the the color of the yellow background. It seems like also that the green was possibly less of an issue, was it in terms yeah, of? Yeah, it was much easier because. Uh, as being acrylic uh, had a, a good quality uh, surface. Mm -hmm. Acrylics uh, have the problem of thinning on the outdoor because half of the material goes away as water diluted, water removed uh, from the rain. And uh, it gets much thinner, much more brittle and uh, uh, permeable. So even dust can enter. But still the quality of the, 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 the surface, the, the, the pictorial layer re re remaining there is still in, in a good shape. Mm. And uh, everywhere where we find acrylics, uh, we are released because are better than the rest of the material. But we found many different materials in, <laughs> in, uh, in all the, the works. Yeah. And so with this particular mural, I know that it does require upkeep and you need to um, revisit sometimes to see how the weather is, um, is faring. And obviously with climate change um, and heat in Australia, that potentially is another element that can disrupt paint. Um, what, what's your experience been when you're looking at um, and returning to murals that you've been working on? Certainly there's a, there's a response to the environment and this is a, a, the Collingwood mural is on a, an east, east facing wall so it, it gets the morning sun, it really bakes in the sun in the morning and um, so this is not um, this is not an artwork that's going to maintain itself. It will have to be regularly checked, and we're we're thinking of ways to protect it from ultraviolet radiation and uh, and other passive intervention to make sure it lasts longer. The Paris mural, which we haven't really talked about, mm. is um, 27 meters tall. It's on a tower in the middle of a children's hospital in uh, Montparnasse in the 15th arrondissement, and um, the black lines that he used uh, were. Uh, um, it was like a PVA. It was kind of vinyl, vinyl paint applied very thickly, and it was extremely thermoplastic, which means that when it baked in the hot sun of the Paris summer, it actually peeled and curled up in crunchy, crunchy little um, curvy bits. And we had to push that back down, although a lot of it had fallen off. So wow. um, time will tell how people always ask us how long this will last. And um, we can't fall into that trap because we certainly do our best with the materials that are available to us now and uh, and then maintenance is required in the future. Mm. Well, that mural, I hope people can look it up because it's pretty amazing as all of them, all of them are, but it, it is really beautiful. In terms of the mural that you're going to be restoring in Amsterdam, 
clearly this is a, a long process and it's an ongoing process as you've indicated. What kind of preparation or what level of preparation is required for a large scale Keith Herring mural um, in terms of the time that's undertaken uh, before you actually do the practical elements of getting up on the scaffolding and, and working with the actual mural itself? Yeah, we had uh, the possibility of studying the material first, uh, which is always uh, the first step. And it's very important because uh, we cannot uh, set a conservation procedure without uh, knowing which materials are and how they are stratified and how they fade in the outdoor. So we found more preoccupying than we thought because being the paint under a corrugated iron for 30 years, maybe we hoped it was protected, mm. but still we find this paint, which is again an enamel, again an alkidic white enamel, peeling off from the surface. So it's not attacked. Uh, it can fall down very easily. And so uh, the idea is uh, to do as soon as possible a good conservation treatment which uh, adheres uh, the surface back. And we found uh, a photograph which is very interesting where it's visible that water was uh, coming in that day, uh, even if it rained, he painted uh, all the, all the same, the artist. And uh, you see in the photographs all these uh, sparkling lights of the water on the surface of the huge wall. And uh, with the graphic, we could test that is exactly the places where uh, the paint is not well adhered. Because mm. the enamel went on the wet surface and it couldn't uh, stick over the, the the breaks underneath. So it really is there, but uh, not long. So we have to, to do a quick work uh, mm. in uh, you know, organizing and, uh, and treating. Uh, they asked us uh, to go in winter, but we said no, not for <laughs> our sake, no, no, but no. for the, <laughs> the, the sake of the materials. We have to respect the uh, chemistry of the material. It's impossible to work when it's chilly, goes under zero, and materials doesn't work well. Mm -hmm. So we said, let's wait for spring. Wait till spring, so we go in April. But to, to answer your initial question, I think this will be our fifth trip to Amsterdam. There was a lot of planning required and getting all the stakeholders to sign on. And of course, getting yeah. the funding. And, yeah, and then studying the materials, which was absolutely essential. Yeah, and I'm just thinking if um, there's elements that have peeled and since flown away or, or fallen from that resin uh, material, what would one do in that situation where there are gaps of white, where the white paint was? Oh, that's what we're going to do. We put, we, we put back uh, what's still there and yeah. then we retouch in a very traditional way the places where the paint is missing. Yeah. It's actually, compared to some of the other really complex projects, the Amsterdam mural is pretty straightforward. And does it make it more straightforward being in one color and one material? It does. Yeah, yeah. It's only one set of parameters to consider. What, the, the what I can add uh, is not very nice uh, to have a, a carbon polluted uh, surface of the bricks underneath. Mm. And we cannot do anything about it because uh, he chose the, the surface because it was black and he painted white over the black uh, because of the contrast. So now cleaning the bricks uh, would change completely. 
the mm. effect, and so it's impossible. We have to keep the polluted air surface. <laughs> <laughs> that is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, it does remind me of those very old murals where they were in churches and you saw um, with all the candles that had been burned, the residue of candles on these murals and um, the difficulty of taking that off um, and potentially disrupting things like tempura, which I know are a bit difficult to deal with. Have you ever had any involvement with some of those more difficult old school materials? Yeah, I worked on mural paintings all my life. There was a very different uh, approaches and especially poultices and gels stratified on the surface now can remove without adding too much water, which is always uh, the risky point. And uh, uh, being very sensitively on the surface but not pouring water can extract uh, what is uh, not original and not intended and regain the quality underneath. Conservators take all sorts of things off of paintings. It's usually um, aged varnish, but I've taken Mm. off chewing gum, I've taken (laughs) off chocolate icing, a lot of nicotine, a lot of uh, nicotine from smokers' homes, and uh, yeah. It's fascinating, (laughs) the types of histories behind these paintings and how they've lived in the space that they're in, because it is all about life and humans as much as it is the artwork itself. That's right. Yeah. I hope that people can head along to your talk if they want to learn more about not just this mural, but your other work um, in wall paintings and murals and street art and to get an understanding of the conservation techniques that you employ and the analysis that you do as well. It is tonight at the Elizabeth Murdoch Theatre Uh, which is in the Elizabeth Murdoch building at the University of Melbourne. And for those who are um, not familiar with that, it's just off Swanston Street on the Parkville campus. And it starts tonight, doors opening at 5.30 for a 5.45 start, finishing at 7.15. And uh, it's presented by Melbourne University, but also a number of other art institutions in Melbourne. Preservation Um, groups, yes, Gamos and IIC. Exactly. May I say one more thing? I just wanted to gratefully acknowledge the uh, support of of, um, Heritage Victoria for maintaining the... the mural for all of this time and making this happen. And also there was a generous grant um, called a Living Heritage Grant that uh, was given to the Collingwood um, Arts Precinct and that made it possible for us to be here. So thank you and greetings to my family in Barcelona. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it is a great um, point to make. I've been speaking with two wonderful international art conservators, Will Shank and Antonio Rava, and they are both in Melbourne right now for their many talks but also to revisit the Keith Herring mural in Collingwood and you can head along to the talk as I said tonight. I'm Amy Mullins and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.